0: Letter twenty-eight of Letters from Hell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Rick Vina. Letters from Hell. By Valdemar Adolph Thisted. Translated by L. W. J. S. Letter twenty eight. Far away and separated from the continent of hell by an immeasurable waste lies the great city of the Jews, a world apart. And there, in perpetual cycles, the dread history repeats itself from the catastrophe of golgotha to the final destruction upon the sacking of jerusalem the whole is engulfed in darkness but daylight reappearing the wheel of history has run back once more to begin the awful period any one entering the city as the night is dispelled, finds the Jewish people overwhelmed with horror at the recent deed. The awful words keep sounding about them. His blood be on us and on our children. They seem aware that a terrible thing has been done, that a terrible retribution is at hand. Jerusalem trembles. Those who have taken part in bringing about that most fearful of crimes ever perpetrated by men, but whose consciences are not seared entirely, raise the question whether, after all, he was the Son of God, whom they crucified. They smite upon their breast and rend their garments. Even the chief priests and elders, hardened though they be, are disturbed, but they flatter themselves with the consolation that the sepulchre is made sure. As the great sabbath breaks, behold them going forth to the garden with Caiaphas at their head. Pale are their faces and bloodshot their eyes. They grind their teeth, but Satan upholds them. The three crosses from Golgotha look down upon them, but not one of those men dares lift an eye to the place where they hanged him on the tree. Where is their priestly dignity? See how they snatch up their long clothing and hasten apace to the tomb. Having reached it, they seem satisfied. It is all as it should be. The watch is there, the seal untouched, and the stone in its place. The great Sabbath has come, but never was there less of Sabbath joy in Jerusalem. A cloud is upon the people, They all wish the festal time were past. Their thoughts roam away from symbolic action. The unleavened bread has lost its sweetness. The blood of the pastoral lamb is clotted in their hands as they endeavor to put it upon the lintel of their houses. The angel of death does not pass by. He is among them. They know it in their hearts. But see, they shake off the stupor. As a stroke of lightning, the news has fallen upon them that the Crucified One has risen. The words of life sound as a death knell in their ears. But is it true? Corroborative evidence is loud on all sides. There is no gainsaying wondrous event. They hasten towards the sepulchre. It is empty, and the stone rolled from the door. Pilate is one of the very first to whom the news is taken. His evil conscience has told him to expect the worst, and, lo, the worst has happened. There is a God to raise the righteous, even from the grave, and to destroy the workers of iniquity. Pilate trembles at every sound, each moment, he thinks, must bring the avenger to his door. He looks for his wife, the abject coward, and hears her cry. My dream, oh, my dream! Alas, that thou deliveredst this just one into their hands. But the high priests and elders are not so easily daunted. They quickly spread the tale that the body of the Nazarene had been stolen away by his disciples, who invented, they said, the story of his resurrection. They bribed the watchmen to accuse themselves before Pilate, of having slept at their post. And the cowardly governor is glad to accept the lie, thrusting the unhappy men into prison to ease his mind. But the marvelous account is not so easily suppressed. Again and again it is said, The Son of Man is risen indeed, and has been seen by many and the chief priests know not how to help themselves. The high council forbids the very mention of him who was crucified. By degrees the terror lessens. Life in the city runs its wonted course. Like startled sheep, the people follow their accustomed leaders, and these fail not to apply the balm. OF SELF-RIGHTEOUSNESS TO EVERY WOUND. HYPOCRISY FLOURISHES, YIELDING THE FRUITS OF DEATH. THE WHITED SEPULCHERS SPREAD THE CORRUPTION HIDDEN WITHIN, AND SOON THE WHOLE BODY OF THE PEOPLE HAS SICKENED WITH UNCLEANNESS. IT IS FAST BECOMING A DEAD CARCASS, AND THE EAGLES, THE WORMS, WILL HAVE IT FOR THEIR prey. PILATE HAS DISAPPEARED. THERE HAVE BEEN OTHER GOVERNORS AFTER HIM, MORE CAPABLE OF RULING THAN HE, AND THE PEOPLE FIND IT OUT TO THEIR HURT. THEY ARE A butt TO CRUELTY AND DERISION, TILL THEY CAN NO LONGER BEAR IT. THE FLAMES OF INSURRECTION SHOOT ALOFT, the heated passions breaking loose. But Jerusalem's worst enemy is within her own walls, the fury of discord. Wildly, the people rave against each other. No crime so hideous, but it is committed against very brothers. Jerusalem's last hour is at hand. The enemy STORMS HER WALLS, BREATHING VENGEANCE AND DESTRUCTION. THE END HAS COME OF TROUBLE AS OF HATRED, AN AWFUL END. THE HORRORS OF THAT SIEGE HAVE NEVER BEEN EQUALED. A NIGHT OF DEATH ENVELOPS THE SCENE. THE HISTORY IS PLAYED OUT TO BEGIN AGAIN WITH EACH RECURRING DAWN. The day was far advanced when I entered the city the final catastrophe was at hand the enmity within had reached its height hopeless discord was rampant hypocrisy and hatred against a common enemy without were the only bonds uniting the seething mass deceit treachery unchaste living Perjury, murder, and all manner of sorcery showed their unblushing front. And yet, to outward appearance, it continued the proud city of David. Gloriously as ever, the holy hill of Zion lifted her battlements, and on Moria rose the temple in splendor unsurpassed. Piety in long garments stood about the streets, making prayers for a pretense. Crowds of people passed to and fro from the synagogues. Devoutness, in fact, made itself conspicuous everywhere. Among the pious inscriptions adorning the dwellings by way of proving the peculiar sanctity of their inhabitants I was struck with one especially, which occurred far oftener than any other, so that I needs must take it as significant. Godliness is gain. It seemed, indeed, as if the people were running after both these jointly, looking upon godliness as a means, upon gain as the coveted result and deeming no cunning too great to obtain it. My heart quaked as I stole through the crowded streets. This, then, was Jerusalem. Oh, how different from the city I had known, and yet how like! It was the same old Jerusalem of the time when the Savior went about, in it, teaching, teaching, and healing. The Savior, I, at every step the thought of Him rose to my mind, to the forgetting even of Lily. Here, surely, there must be men who can tell of Him. But first of all I would follow that road from Gabatha to Golgotha. Alas, with other feelings than might have been possible on earth. I needed a guide, and stopped the first Jew I met on the way. But he broke from me gruffly with a sneer. So did another, and yet another. And presently I was buffeted on even mentioning the Via Dolorosa. I suppose they took it for Latin, and believed me to be a Roman. At first I saw in their rudeness, merely their probable dislike to me as a stranger. Before long, however, I could not but accept the fact that in all that city no one could be found who had any knowledge concerning the Son of Mary. He was forgotten, forgotten entirely. False prophets had risen in his stead, to whom they had listened. There was nothing left for me but to try and find the way, unaided. I turned away in the direction of Brook Cedron, finding the very place by the bridge where once I rested with Lily. On that spot I would rest me now. Alas, rest I could not. I only stopped. There I sat, silent and alone, but content was far away. Memories of Lily were neither more vivid nor more real; longing only was increased tenfold. I had been anxious to revisit the holy scenes, and found them fraught with disappointment. That since existence to me. Was one great disillusion. What mattered it? Jerusalem was but a grave, forsaken of the Spirit, estranged from God, a prey to hatred, a dead body given over to the undying worm. The souls peopling it were the ghosts of an awful past, living. AND THE DESTRUCTION THEY HAD CALLED DOWN. WHAT COULD I HAVE FOUND THERE TO YIELD ME EVEN A SHADOW OF CONTENT? I HAD COME THITHER TO FIND MYSELF IN A LIKE DAMNATION. FOOL THAT I WAS TO EXPECT IT OTHERWISE. BUT WE NEVER LEARN BY EXPERIENCE. WE DID NOT ON EARTH. WE CANNOT IN HELL. Faint at heart, I groveled my way back to the city, and came upon scenes of excitement. A new governor had arrived, the last but one appointed by Rome, and was making a splendid entry. I was anxious to see something of one of the most remarkable cities in hell, the City of Politicians, called also. THE TOWN OF INJUSTICE. THITHER I MOVED. ON THE ROAD I MET THE STRANGEST PROCESSION, A MOST EXTRAORDINARY MACHINE, BEING wheeled ALONG BY A RABBLE, CONSPICUOUS FOR SCARLET CAPS, AND HOWLING FRIGHTFULLY. ON THE TOP OF THE STRUCTURE I BEHELD, SITTING AS ON A THRONE, a man wearing the most elegant apparel of Paris fashion and last century style. The hair slightly powdered and carefully arranged. The necktie scrupulously white and embroidered. The velvet coat, both costly and genteel. The cuffs of lace setting off hands delicately shaped like a woman's. The silken hose, the shoes trim with bow and buckle. Would one not take such outward signs as the index of a disposition fastidiously refined? But no, he is satiated with blood, worse than Nero himself his triumphal car on the present occasion being an ambulant guillotine. Have you recognized him? Still thirsting for blood, this graceful image of gentility, but hell yields nothing for the quenching of thirst, not even blood. He is always looking at people's necks, "'as shown by his very compliments, such as they are. "'Sir,' he says, "'your neck is very fine. "'Madam, allow me to congratulate you upon a lovely throat.' "'Followed by his creatures, a very hangman's company, "'he likes to ride abroad among the people, "'upon whom he looks as a kind of raw material for his philanthropic experiments. But the common folk make faces at him, calling him a fool, possessed of a harmless mania. No one is afraid of him now, for power over necks is not given him here. The unsatisfied craving is his punishment also. Still, he has a circle of friends and followers who share his notions with regard to the general rottenness of society and the need of sanguinary revolution. They are sorry for his disappointment, and whenever he has fixed upon a place for his beloved guillotine, they very kindly offer him their necks for decapitation the procedure, mind you, being without hurt or harm to themselves, the sort of thing which used to be done in Astley's theatre. But their good-natured make-believe cannot satisfy him, simply because there is no shedding of blood. It was a long journey I had undertaken, and I passed by a town looking a very necropolis. Dark and mute, it rose upon a dismal flat. No window, no door, showed life within. Not a sound was heard, and though gates stood open, not a soul came forth. Once, twice, I walked around, not a living creature in sight. I kept wondering, till a stray ghost explained to me the strange appearance. It was the town of the Inquisition, he said, adding that not long since a powerful king of Spain, with unheard-of splendor and a great retinue, had made his entry into that town. Shall I, or shall I not? I came to the conclusion that where His Catholic Majesty had gone, I might venture. But at the gate, I came upon a placard sufficiently startling. Thus it ran. Quote. Auto da fe of peculiar interest. Whereas his most catholic majesty, the powerful protector of the holy inquisition, has graciously promised to be burnt alive after most royal and exquisite torture, and whereas six hundred heretics will wait on his majesty at the stake. The sublime spectacle of their witnessing his passing to the nether fire is herewith announced, the setting in scene being strictly in keeping with hell. A strange announcement, to be sure, but no doubt he had come to his own place, that much-lamented king of Spain and the town was even now preparing to greet him right royally. Should I indeed go in? I hesitated. Still, I doubted not that even the worst in that city might be born, and on the other hand, that placard exercised a kind of demoniac influence over my imagination. I MUST SEE THAT SIGHT. THIS, THEN, WAS THE SECOND HOLY CITY I HAD THE HONOR OF VISITING, AND IN TRUTH THERE IS A PECULIAR LIKENESS BETWEEN THEM. WHAT THE CITY OF DESTRUCTION IS TO THE JEWISH PEOPLE, THE TOWN OF THE INQUISITION MAY BE SAID TO BE TO CHRISTENDOM. A SHUDDER WENT THROUGH ME AS I ENTERED. Automatically, the gates swung on their hinges, closing with an ominous shriek. Those gates, strange to say, stand open like a yawning grave to him who approaches, falling too behind him who has gone in. There I was, in the town of crooked streets and death, breathing atmosphere. The high houses have the fewest of windows, and those are provided with iron bars, prison-like. Horror seemed to dwell within. Mysterious figures went gliding through the gloomy thoroughfares, wrapped in long cowls and hoods over their heads with two round staring holes for the eyes. Are they dead men, risen from their graves? And here and there a procession meets me, either of dismal penitence, offering the most horrible examples of fanatical self-torture, or of thanksgiving, more dismal still, accompanying condemned sufferers to the scene of their public agony. Pomp and vanity here also, forsooth. But the only thing which brings life into the stagnation of that city is an auto-da-fe. The inhabitants, one and all, are people who at one time or another WERE SERVANTS OF THE INQUISITION. OTHERS MAY ENTER IF THEY ARE SO MINDED, I MYSELF BEING ONE OF THE FEW foolhardy WHO DID SO. THIS CITY OF THE INQUISITION IS AS A GRAVE ENCLOSING A TERRIBLE SECRET, FOR NO ONE KNOWS WHO, IN ACCORDANCE WITH THE VERDICT OF AN UNKNOWN TRIBUNAL, shall be the next to be dragged to most horrible torture. No one is safe, not even those who hold high position in the mysterious community, possibly the most zealous votaries of a fanatical church. The very members of the secret tribunal are not safe. FOR HE WHO LATELY SENTENCED HIS NEIGHBOR TO CRUEL AND EXQUISITE TORTURE MAY BE THE VERY ONE TO SUFFER NEXT. THEIR FATE LAYS HOLD OF THEM SECRETLY AND SWIFTLY. FATE? NAY, BUT A JUST RETRIBUTION. THEY ARE DRAGGED FROM THEIR HIDING PLACES AND BROUGHT TO THE BAR. They shall give an account of their faith. They are utterly unable. No one can do so in hell. They are judged accordingly. But, be it noticed, their very judges are equally unable to confess their faith. And now for torture. Whatever of horror, of cruelty, has been invented on behalf of the Inquisition is all known here and applied to the fullest extent. The victims are disembodied spirits, true, but their imagination is keenly alive to the torment. On earth they raved against hapless humanity. Now, they rave against one another, each being judge and victim in turn. They wind up with the stake. But although the fire has no flame, and although the miserable wretches are unable to burn, they none the less suffer in the spirit the excruciating agony of dying on a slowly consuming pyre. The end of all is horror unspeakable. Souls do not live here. They tremble and quake. Even I shared in the common sensation, although I tried to console myself, that in such respect, at any rate, I was guiltless, having never joined, directly or indirectly, in religious persecution. But no matter, since I was there, I seemed in a like damnation. How frightful was the silence, the lull before an awful storm, for the city was preparing for the climax of her existence. It was plainly evident that the auto da fe was about to take place. Muffled figures kept gliding from the houses, moving away in a self-same direction. I need but follow them to reach the scene. But as my soul called up the picture of what was to be acted by the most Catholic king amid six hundred heretics, a horror fell upon me. I could not, I dared not, witness the spectacle. I turned and fled as if death in the shape of the holy hermandad itself were at my heels. Happily, I escaped from the town. The cold drops on my forehead, my knees shaking with anguish. I fell in a swoon. As soon as the terrible gate closed behind me. End of letter 28. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day.